This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Join the conversation and message Buck on Facebook, Instagram, or email teambuck at iheartmedia.com. He may read it on the show. It didn't take long, did it, for Joe Biden and uh, his many handlers to try to address the criticism of his both, as Ted Cruz has said, boring and radical speech. Well, well described there, I must say. Um, but now we have to deal with the aftermath in terms of the policies and, and the lies. There's a lot of stuff that's being said right now by this Biden administration that cannot go without response. Biden gave an interview to, I don't know, one of those silly morning shows that also does news. You know, one minute it's like, hey, here's how to make the best, you know, summer goat cheese salad. And then it's oh, we're serious news people. He had one of those uh, interviews, sit down with the show that they used to have Matt Lauer on before everybody found out what that guy was like. Uh, We'll get into all of this in in a moment. But as you know, the Biden team wants to spend. I think we have to refer to it that way because he's just shuffling around, muttering and saying whatever they tell him to. The Biden team wants six trillion dollars of spending. Uh, That's in addition to the current federal budget. And that means there's going to be a lot of pressure on the currency and things are going to get rocky in the economy. I don't know what's going to happen, how it's going to happen. Nobody does. But I want you to prepare today. And that's why I want you to know you can get gold and silver, real gold and silver. You can hold in your hands delivered to your door or you can have it placed right into your IRA or 401k tax free and penalty free. I'm talking about real gold and silver in your hands or your retirement accounts. Gold and silver hold their value. That's why you should have them, especially when markets decline or fail. The Oxford Gold Group is the industry leader in precious metals. They offer gold and silver at the lowest prices on the market. It's the company I trust to put gold and silver into both my hands and my IRA. I get my gold from Oxford Gold Group. You should too. They'll beat any competitor's price on gold, silver, platinum, and palladium. Call them now, 833-600-GOLD, and request your free precious metals investment guide, 833 833- 600 G-O-L-D, the Oxford Gold Group. Speak with them today, 833-600-GOLD. It was all about the science until it wasn't. Mask up, save lives, mask up. It's what Fauci and the CDC says. Okay, that's what they told us. It was just about the data. It wasn't ideological. It wasn't about control. No, none of those things. We're told none of that matters. None of that is important. Sure, sure. Then you have Joe Biden, who just gave an interview in which he made it very clear that this was never really just about the science. No, it was symbolism. It was so much more. And they have completely rearranged society's thought processes when it comes to risk, when it comes to understanding what is reasonable. We have been, by the Democrats, in their desperate and unfortunately somewhat successful bid to increase their power to authoritarian status. We have been uh, brainwashed as a society into thinking the unreasonable is reasonable into thinking the absurd is normal, into making Joe Biden the president. I mean, I know you and I aren't responsible for that, but he is the president. And now he's vaccinated. The CDC has made it very clear because it is blaringly obvious. I mean, I don't give them any credit for this. 
outdoor masking was stupid all along. We all know it. But now at least they're saying, look, if you're vaccinated, you're outdoors. There's no reason for you to be wearing a mask. It's really absurd. Joe Biden apparently knows more than the CDC. Play six. CDC guidance this week about outdoor mask wearing. A lot of folks excited that they can now shed these masks if they've been double vaccinated. Um, Are are you going to be one of these folks now? We no longer going to see the president of the United States outside with a mask on? Sure. Sure. I mean, but what I'm going to do, though, because the likelihood of my being able to be outside and people not come up to me is not very, very high. So it's like, look, you and I took our masks off when I came in because look at the distance we are. But if we were, in fact, sitting there talking to one another close, I'd have my mask on and I met you'd have a mask, even though we've both been vaccinated. And so it's 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 a small precaution to take that has a profound impact. It's a patriotic responsibility, for God's sake. It's making sure that your wife, your children, your, if you, if, in, in fact, they haven't been vaccinated, making sure that they're not going to get sick. It's not a patriotic responsibility for vaccinated people to continue to wear masks, especially when they're talking to other vaccinated people. You moron. Look, we've all known that Joe Biden is not a bright guy. Everyone's known that for a very long time. But this is who the Democrats put forward. This is who they were able to fool in a pandemic year. Enough Americans into just craving, you know, normalcy, centrism, whatever it was. And Trump was, you know, worse than Hitler and created covid. With all of that, they were able to put this complete buffoon forward into the Oval Office. And what he's saying is sheer lunacy. This is just crazy time now. But I knew we would get here because what I've been telling you all along, the mask is a politico religious symbol for the left. That's why you now have the president of the United States openly defying the CDC at this stage of the pandemic on this and insisting that it is your patriotic duty. I want to tell Biden to uh, go something himself, and it rhymes with my name. This is outrageous. This is what the left has done. This is where we are. Now people are that incapable of processing things for themselves, that incapable of understanding what is a fair and, and realistic policy about these mitigation measures, as Fauci calls them that we have to accept this degree of sheer stupidity. This is dumb, but you see, they've gotten used to this. They like that you all comply because you have to. But now that it's getting closer to maybe you don't have to, they still want you to comply. The mask shamers, the most annoying, nagging pains in the butt you've ever come across in your life. Wear your mask, wear your mask. Yeah. Oh, it's it's done such a great job shutting down the pandemic all over the world, hasn't it? Remember when they were blaming Trump for all of this? It's like they don't have access to newspapers or the Internet to see how has this gone in Europe? How has this gone in Brazil? How is it going in India now? All those countries were wearing masks. Countries in Europe and then, of course, Brazil and India, they, they were all masked up. In fact, as recently as last December, as you know, we were told that India beat the pandemic, according to doctors in India, the experts, 
because they all masked up so much. Yeah. Now where is it? The place is in a catastrophe. India is going through what we were told could happen here, which is hospital capacity overwhelmed, people not able to get medical care. It's a horrible situation. You know, maybe over-reliance on masks as a policy, maybe the almost fetishization of masks as the primary most important tool to stop this because it's the only one the CDC could really come up with at first. Uh, Maybe that actually led to a lot of bad ideas and bad policy that made this worse. Anyone ever think about that? Oh, no, sure, that's not the case. It's not like people constantly touching and rearranging their dirty mask might actually help transmit this disease, which is what was said at the very beginning, if you remember. But I I don't even want to get into a how effective are masks debate or discussion right now. All right. Because remember, they've convinced themselves that it's okay that we went from Fauci mocking masks to it's a patriotic duty to wear them in a month or two. So, you know, 100 years of medicine and science forgotten in a month based on what? Panic. Panic. Oh, asymptomatic spread. That changes things because now, you know, no, no, no. We can all smell the nonsense. We can smell this BS. But a lot of people don't really have the capacity to think for themselves. And when Joe Biden says something like masking up is a patriotic duty, they stand to attention and they salute and say, sir, yes, sir. Commander Chief, I will double mask even after vaccinated and standing alone in a field, sir, because I love my country. No, that's not what you're actually telling anybody when you do that. What you're saying is that you are a sheep and that you will allow yourself to be shorn of all dignity because the people in charge tell you that that's what has to happen. This is where we are. Uh, Joe Biden's masking up as a patriotic duty in 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 direct contradiction uh, in the circumstance of masking outside while vaccinated. He's doing yesterday. He was out. He gave some speech. The guy spent 30 seconds looking for a mask to wear outside. Symbolism is not science, you jackass Biden. But Democrats haven't achieved what they want yet with all this. Yeah, they beat Trump, but they're not done. They've got to keep you compliant. They've got to keep you willing to take orders. What do you mean? You start to breathe fresh air. You start to see what it's like to be outside and be around fellow human beings. Maybe you don't want, you know, Joe and Kamala in charge of everything. Maybe people start to recognize that our government is run by imbeciles and buffoons. Hmm. Wouldn't that be interesting? But that doesn't help. You see, that doesn't help their power grab. It's a patriotic responsibility for God's sakes. Notice that he even becomes sanctimonious about it. He becomes smarmy for God, for God's sakes, it's a patriot. No, it's not, you idiot. Unbelievable. This guy's the president of the United States. I'll tell you this right now. My God, I miss Donald Trump. Uh, Kids in K through 12 schools obviously are not going to be able to, to get the vaccine by the fall. Should all schools in this country be open this fall for five day and five day a week in person learning regardless? Based on the science and the CDC, they should probably all be open. There's not overwhelming evidence. That there's much of a transmission among these people, young people. Should probably be open. 
Wow, what a profile and courage Joe Biden is here. Notice that, that they say they invoke this based on the science. Just saying based on the science doesn't mean that you're actually basing it on science. We all know that. You know, this reminds me of a of a really snide rhetorical uh, trick that uh, Noam Chomsky, who I, be- I believe recently passed away, used to use in debates with William F. Buckley. He would say, oh, turning to the facts. Let's let's turn to the facts. He would say, let's turn to the facts, which is always a, a backhanded way of saying, you know, what you're saying is not factual. What I'm saying is factual. Right. And Chomsky is a wildly overrated intellectual. But anyway, uh the truth here with Joe Biden and the CDC guidance and all the stuff that we're seeing is that the Democrats are in a panic at the notion of one having to reenter normal society because they've convinced themselves that all you have to do to be a really good, brave person is put hashtag BLM on your Facebook page and not go outside very much and double mask all the time. You know, just be a good, compliant a good compliant member of the Democrat apparatus. Like we're all a bunch of guinea pigs. You know, we're all just in our cages hoping that, uh, you know, someone comes along and puts enough water in our little feeders and tells us that we're being good. It's disgraceful the way the Democrats have politicized this whole pandemic, the way that they've pushed uh, for rules that are far in excess. One of their of, of, of really any government's authority. I mean, I'm sorry. I don't believe that a government has has the right to tell you that you have to stifle your breathing outside by yourself because they say so. I mean, it's not even really enforceable, but they counted on the social enforcers out there. They counted on people that were, where is your mask? And you're out jogging by yourself. People should be so ashamed. What a bunch, what a bunch of cowards, really. The whole thing was so dumb. And, you know, these people, the... Uh, uh, airline stewards or whatever, or attendants or whatever they call them now, running around, you know, excuse me, sir, put your mask on, put your mask on. Okay, so if I, do I have a time limit if I'm having a Diet Coke with my mask down? Is there a time limit? Or we all realize I'm just breathing air, like we're all breathing air and this is dumb. Okay, okay, good. I'm glad we established that. You know, Biden is also coming under some pressure because it's clear that he didn't really want to talk about what happened, uh, what's happening at the border based on what he said in the speech. There was really very little that he wanted to say other than amnesty. That's their their solution to the illegal immigration challenge, crisis, all of the above is to incentivize to to reward the first wave and to incentivize a second massive wave. And at that point, you just say, well, why even pretend that we have immigration laws? What's the point? Um, Biden is out there. Oh, and, and just on the schools thing, I just want to point out they never should have been closed. And I will never forgive Fauci and the Democrats for being such little cowards that they actually shut down schools. What they've done to children is appalling. They weren't keeping them safe. It was all for the teachers unions. We all know that. But here's Biden on the migrant surge. This is this is a little bit of a, of a longer clip, but I wanted you to hear it. And actually, you know, producer Mark, maybe we can, we can pause midway so I can react to some of it. Play four. Does it demand urgent action now? Is, is what's happening at the southern border, is it a crisis? It is getting urgent action now. For example, a month ago, we had thousands of young kids 
in custody in places they shouldn't be and controlled by the Border Patrol. We have now cut that down dramatically. Here, look, here's what happened. The failure to have a real transition the two departments that didn't give us access to virtually anything were the immigration and the defense department. So we didn't find out they had fired a whole lot of people, that they were understaffed considerably. But in April alone, Mr. President, 170,000 people, migrants, apprehended at the border. It's a 20-year record. There are 22,000 unaccompanied children in our country right now. That's a, that, that's a record. That sounds to most folks like a crisis. Well, look, it's way down now. We've now gotten control. For example, we have, they didn't plan for, which it comes every year, this flow, whether it's 22,000 or 10,000. They didn't have the beds that were available. They didn't plan for the overflow. They didn't plan for the Department of Health and Human Services to have places to take the kid from, from the uh, border Patrol and put, put them in beds where there's security and there were people that could take care of them. So there's a significant change right now, significant change in the circumstance for children coming to and at the border. What a slimy liar. This is a crisis. This is a total mess. It is lawlessness. It's the infiltration not only of massive number of, of illegal immigrants in the United States, but of narcotics into our communities. It's easier for the cartels than it has been in perhaps decades to just run large amounts of lethal fentanyl and other drugs into the United States, poisoning our communities, leading to drug gang violence. We just had the biggest increase on record of homicides in one year. Most of those homicides you can trace to drug-related activity, gang-related activity, and it's all coming from south of the border. It's all coming from the cartels. So what is not a crisis about this? That's what you have to ask. But notice Biden, in his usual, you know, his usual uh, unctuous, uh, dishonest salesman routine here is, oh, but it was the, you know, it was the administration before. And I didn't have enough beds. And, you know, we're... Where numbers are way down. No, they're not way down. And they're not going to go down. Because Biden knows he doesn't have the Democrat base supporting any real effort to instill consequences. There has to be a downside of crossing the border from a government perspective. The government has to say, no, you will not benefit from this. No, this is not acceptable. Okay? Otherwise, they're going to keep doing it. And that's the very basic, the very straightforward situation here. And then there's also, remember about separating families and all that? Play three. During the campaign, you pledged to reunite hundreds of children who yes. have been separated from uh, their parents by the previous administration. According to our reporting, in, in your first 100 days, not one child's been reunited. I don't how, think that. How is that? I, I don't think that's true, but that could be. What we have done is we have, we have united children with their families as they've come across the border. But one of the things is we don't know yet where those kids are. And we're trying like hell to figure out what happened. It's almost like being a sleuth, and we're still continuing to try like hell to find out where they are. You've said to, 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 to migrants, don't come. You said don't come. You're very clear. Or would you tell parents in, in, in Central America and Mexico, don't send your kids? Absolutely. And look, here's the deal. 
So don't send your kids. That's the message. Do not send your kids. Period. They're most they're in jeopardy going making that thousand mile trek. And so what we're doing now is we're going back to those countries in question where most of us coming from and saying, look, you can apply from your country. You don't have to make this trek. They don't want to apply, moron. They want to just get in and you're letting them. And that's what's happening. But the Democrats think they benefit from the border crisis. We all know it. So in their minds, it's really not a crisis. All right. Producers here pointed out that no, Noam Chomsky's still alive. My bad, everybody. Sorry about that. <laughs> Whoops. False alarm. Uh, he's still running around spreading his warmed over Marxism to uh, whoever will listen. Um, Howard Zinn died a, a few years ago. Another very left wing uh, Marxist author and provocateur. But uh, yeah, Noam Chomsky's alive. So I, I don't know why I thought that, but. We don't need to get into that right now. Uh, let's see. We have a bunch. Oh, the, the law enforcement situation and what's happening across the country. I, I want to drill down into that for a moment here, because this is really turning into a question of attitudes toward cops. That's what's really so essential in all of this attitudes toward uh, police and why that is so damaging and leading to such an enormous spike in violent crime across the country has been for many, many months. So we'll get into that in just a moment. But as, as you know, reopen is happening in some places. It's coming very quickly and others. It's uh, lagging a little bit, but it is going to happen. And it's going to be great for small businesses to finally have the uh, the boot of the government, you know, off their backs. It's going to be great for small businesses to be able to expand and get up and running again. But I, I want to help you in whatever way that I can. So for all the folks out there who are running their own business, running a business really at, at, at whatever level, you got to get Bambi, OK, because when you're running a business, HR issues can kill you. You've got wrongful termination suits, minimum wage requirements, labor regulations, all these headaches, all these things you have to deal with. That's why Bambi is the solution for you, because with Bambi, you get a dedicated HR manager who will craft HR policy, maintain your compliance, do all this for ninety nine dollars a month. OK, ninety nine dollars a month. It's less than my cable bill. You can have an HR manager. Think about this handling everything from onboarding to terminations. They customize your policies to fit your business and they'll help you manage employees day to day all for just ninety nine dollars a month. This is month to month. No hidden fees. Cancel any time. Look, you didn't start your business because you wanted to spend time on HR compliance. Go to Bambi.com slash buck right now to schedule your free HR audit. That's B-A-M-B-E-E dot com slash buck. Bambi.com slash buck. The biggest spike in the United States in homicides in one year on record. That That's what the headline should be for 2020. The official numbers aren't in yet. This is why you haven't seen more of it. The official data from the FBI comes out in September for 2020. So what we're relying on are preliminary figures, but the preliminary figures are only going to be most likely a little lower than the final numbers. And you're looking at an estimate of a 30 to 35, uh, maybe even 37 percent increase in homicides nationwide in 2020. Why is that happening? People who say it's covid need to explain how that's possible. You have far fewer people 
on the streets, in public places, public accommodations, interacting with each other. Unprecedented in the history, really, of, of modern history of America, right? You've never had so little contact with your fellow human beings. And yet we think that there, there's that's an explanation for why there are more people killing other people. Really? No. If you look at the actual spike in homicides, what you see is that it really got going right around the killing of George Floyd and the BLM movement's resurgence, BLM 2.0. That's what coincided with the big spike in shootings and homicides in cities across the country. And it's very important to remember that that homicides are just the most egregious and visible uh, and, and quantifiable manifestation of criminality out there, right? I mean, it, it's you, you got to hide a body, so to speak, if you're the local government. People know when someone dies, so it's tough to cover this stuff up. They still do sometimes, but it's tough to cover it up, and also it's the most serious crime, and so people tend to pay a lot of attention to it. Uh, this is happening because the Democrats have... This notion, it's, it's this unreasonable, this, this absurd idea that cops are racist, that American police, law enforcement are uh, shooting unarmed black men for reasons that are never specified other than systemic racism, right? That this is, which they can't even really define. And they do this and they get away with it. And it's, it's so... It's a central issue in America today. The central issue of law enforcement, according to Democrats, is police shooting unarmed black men. This is psychotic. It does happen. It is very rare. And when it does happen and it shouldn't happen, the police are generally overwhelmingly prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. This is not the crisis they pretend it is. Right. It is aberrant. It is rare. It is highly unusual. But. This has become a, a manipulation. What they do is they manipulate the scope of it. They take something that exists and pretend that it is, it is a much bigger problem. Think about it this way. You know, if, if I, just, just to come up with an example off the top of, of your head, you know, if you were really upset in the office one day and you, you dropped a, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the curse words you can't say on radio, if you were really upset in the office, you said that, and your boss called you into the office and said, you know, your language in general is entirely unacceptable. And I think we're going to have to suspend you for two weeks because you're always cursing. You're always cursing. And, and you say, well, hold on a second. It only happened one time. That's a big difference. What, what do you mean? It doesn't happen all the time. No, you're always doing it. You're always doing it. You're, you're systemically cursing. That's what the left does here. They inflate and exaggerate the scope, the scale of the problem in order to achieve a political agenda. And the political agenda is to make law enforcement the scapegoat for all of society's problems, particularly high crime rates in predominantly minority communities in major cities. It's the cops fault. That's what the transference here. That's what the the uh, the political goal is. We don't talk about any, you know, we don't talk about failing schools or broken families or uh, or focus on addiction or any number of very real challenges and problems that, by the way, all Americans have, but do often uh, reach epidemic levels in poor areas of minority communities in this country. No, we don't talk about that. It's the cops fault. Yeah. 
I mean, th- this at some level is almost like you have, uh, you know, very, you have very high levels of, of heart disease and, and heart failure in this country for people at, at younger and younger ages. And yeah, I'm sure there are EMS techs who show up sometimes to deal with a heart attack victim and they mess up. Maybe they're on their phone and they shouldn't be and someone dies who shouldn't. I'm sure that's rare. And the reason for heart attacks in general in America is not EMS. They're not causing this. Right. And criminality in any community is not being caused by law enforcement. But this is we have to have a fundamental shift in attitudes here. Otherwise, we can just keep seeing what's happening. You just had 200 cops in Seattle walk off the job because they feel there is a an anti-police climate. And you know what? They're right. There is. Remember, they set up the CHOP, the Capitol Hill Occupy protest, or the uh, CHAZ, the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. And it resulted, I mean, the whole thing was a mess. It was, uh, it was a disgrace. But the cops were told, don't go in there. Could you imagine? Think about what that does to your authority on the streets in your city. When the mayors, the Democrat bureaucrats say, um, we're actually going to respect this group of loons who say they've established a place that's uh, that's outside the writ of government, so to speak, of local government here. Think about what that does. Now, you may have seen this or, or heard this already. There is a student. I, I don't know the young man's name or I'd give him credit at Cypress College in California. I never heard of the school either, but he's on a Zoom call. This this has been leaked out there. He's on a Zoom call. Uh, with a professor, and I want you to hear this this whole exchange because he's clearly they're having some kind of a class discussion over Zoom, and the the issue is whether police should be portrayed in children's shows and what essentially whether cops are the good guys. I mean, I remember growing up, and you know, my parents even taught me if you know if you ever get separated from us or you, you know you're ever scared or whatever, you know, go f- find a cop, find a fireman, they'll take care of you, they'll protect you. And you and I both know, as I say that, when, whether you have kids or not, or whether this is for you or your children, you know, if you're in trouble in, in America and, and you go to a cop or a firefighter or, you know, any, any number. First of all, I think if you just go to your fellow American, usually they're going to try to help you. But if you go to a cop or a firefighter, you're going to you got a ninety nine point nine 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 chance, especially if you're a kid, that they're going to try to help you out and take care of you, make sure you're safe. That's America. That's the country we actually live in. Right. That's not somehow what the left thinks. They think that, oh, you know, hands up, don't shoot. You don't know. You know, you're a kid. It could be dangerous. Those cops, they're so dangerous. And, you know, who are being held up as heroes in our society? I mean, I'll just tell you this right now. I mean, LeBron James is not a hero. LeBron James is a skilled athlete and an idiot. But people look up to him. They look up to him because he can dribble a basketball and jump high and shoot. But I don't care what he has to say about law enforcement or cops. And nobody else with a brain should either. Cops, if we're going to create heroes in our society, I'd much rather have it be police than basketball players or baseball players or hockey players or anybody else for that matter. All right. If we're going to choose who we tell kids to look up to. It's people who are doing public service, putting themselves in the line, keeping our communities safe. Same thing with the United States military, by the way. You know, we, we still at least 
Democrats have to have to pay lip service to this in a lot of cases because the Democrat left. I know they're Democrats who are military and support the military, but the far left of the Democrat Party despises our military. It's just a fact. Uh, but here's here's how a conversation goes at Cypress College in California between a student and his professor. I want you, I want you to really listen for the disdain in the female professor's voice when they're talking about whether cops are the good guys. Play one. All right, so uh, you brought up the police in your speech a few times. Um, so what is your like? What is your main concern? Since I mean, no. honestly, the whole reason police—I mean, it's, it's, it is systemic. The issue is systemic because the whole reason we have police departments in the first place—where did it stem from? What's our history going back to what Jeremy was talking about? What where was? What does it stem from? It stems from people in the South wanting to capture runaway slaves. Maybe they shouldn't be heroes. Maybe they don't belong on a kid's show. Uh, so I disagree with the what Jeremy said about it because uh, I think cops are heroes and they have to have a difficult job. But we have to have all of them. Life. Oh, I, I, not. I mean, I'd say uh, a good majority of them. You have bad people in every business and every yeah, part. Yeah. Well, wait, a wait, lot wait, of wait, police wait. officers have committed atrocious crimes and have gotten away with it and have never been convicted of any of it. And, and I they, think for the person who has family members who are police officers. Yes, I, I, I understand. Um, and this is what I believe. This is my opinion. And this is you know not popular to say, but uh, I do support our police. And we have bad people. And the people that do bad things should be brought to justice. I agree with that. But I think that uh, – say, I'm saying it again. They haven't. Well, I agree with you on that point of they should, right? So what is your bottom line point? You're saying police officers should be revered, viewed as heroes. They belong on TV shows with children. I think they are heroes in a sense because they come to your need and they come and help you. And they have a problem just like every other business, but we should fix that. But I think they're they're heroes. Well, I think that's the problem is looking at it as a business because they're actually supposed to protect and serve Police do not come from the enforcement of slavery, by the way. I just, you know, this is it's right along the lines with the 1619 project saying that the American colonies were founded to protect slavery. This is they're always that the left is desperate to rewrite history to create a false moral high ground. There there are there were constables and sheriffs, which actually comes from the English Shire Reeve uh, for the person who was in charge of a of of the defense of a township um it goes back to the 1300s there have been gendarmes in france paid by the state for hundreds of years okay this the 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 idea that cops but they spread this and then people say it and then they say well well there there was an elevation of law enforcement And, and what is really the point then are they saying that so, so law enforcement comes from the protection of, of slavery. It's just to undermine the whole system. We should have no cops. This is crazy. So and remember, the left also uh, the left, uh, left also wants to disarm you while they're also undermining police and abolishing and disbanding and, and defunding police. Yeah, these people are civilizational arsonists. They, they just they're out of their minds. But the ones who are pushing it the most, the ones who go on TV, you know, they live in safe neighborhoods still. They don't feel the brunt of this. And they convince people who are 
underprivileged who do live in high crime areas that there's nothing about the community that needs to be addressed or dealt with. It's the cops fault, which is in and of itself a seductive lie. People suffer as a result of this. Thousands more people, a lot of the minorities murdered, raped, assaulted, robbed last year in excess of any normal year stretching back for 20 years. The numbers were far higher. And it's in large part because the left lies about cops, about the, about the history of cops, about what cops do, about the percentage of cops that are bad. But, uh, you know, with the media and the corporations all scared on this one and all telling lies, too, it's very hard to get the truth out there. Senator Tim Scott said last night that America is not a racist country. Do you agree with that? And what do you make of his warning against fighting discrimination with more discrimination? I believe that we need to address, well, first of all, no, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its, and its existence today. And I, I applaud the president for always having the ability and the courage, frankly, to speak the truth about it. He spoke what we know from the intelligence community. One of the greatest threats to our national security is domestic terrorism manifested by white supremacists. And so these are issues that we must confront and it doesn't it does not help to heal our country to unify us as a people to ignore the realities of that and I think the president has been outstanding and a real national leader we know on the issue of saying let's confront the realities and let's deal with it knowing we all have so much more in common than what separates us and the idea is that we want to unify the country but not without um, speaking truth and, and requiring accountability as appropriate deal with it how Defunding cops, that's idiocy and people die. We get really fuzzy, don't we, when it comes to de- deal with the racism in America today in what way? What, what does Kamala Harris think we should do? We have affirmative action. Do we need more affirmative action? Is that, is that the plan? Because the, the answer is the Democrats do believe that, by the way, as well as reparations and other things that are highly unpopular when they're actually put to the general American population. So... What are we supposed to do? If we're going to talk about law enforcement, maybe we should be able to have honest discussions about where law enforcement is failing and where the problem lies elsewhere with community dysfunction, with the lack of intact families, with a lack of focus on education, with substance abuse. You can find this all across the country and you can tie these things to criminality across all groups, across all, you know, whether whatever ethnicity we're talking about, there are people who find themselves in desperate circumstances, who are in high crime neighborhoods, we should look at why is this happening and how do we fix it instead of just passing the blame to police. And I'm just going to say this. The uh, the, the, the idea that the, intel- the intelligence community is, is ruined. And I used to work at the CIA. The CIA has become a joke. When I went to the CIA, we had an enemy, Al-Qaeda and the jihadists, and we had a unified intelligence community in dealing with them, at least. I will say that. Now, these places, I mean, it's basically like a federal jobs program for middling bureaucrats and the woke. The amount of, you know, LGBTQ plus indoctrination and transgender ideology courses and all the stuff that my friends who are still in the intelligence community have to deal with is mind blowing. I want them figuring out how to find spies and kill terrorists. And they're sitting through classes on pronoun usage. I kid you not. 
So this whole invocation of the intelligence community, our intelligence community is a broken joke. And I know of what I speak. And I'm sorry for the good patriots who still work in it, but they know this is the truth as well. Could the stock market be on the verge of historic gains? Well, yes, according to Carnivore Trading, they've spotted several key indicators. But the biggest profits will come in sectors that even a lot of Wall Street experts are going to miss. Look, Carnivore Trading is an elite squad of strategists who influence major Wall Street investors. And when you subscribe to Carnivore, you'll receive real-time text alerts of explosive trades that they're making for their elite clients. And you can mirror their trades with your discount broker or pass. But why would you pass when their trades routinely crush the S&P 500? They guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. 5x your monthly fee just by mirroring their trades that they're going to be telling you about. The market could be on the verge of a massive upswing. Get off the sidelines and mirror carnivore trades today. Right now, you'll get two weeks free. All you have to do is visit this website, getourtrades.com, and use promo code BUCK. That's getourtrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Let's check in with our friend Pedro Gonzalez, who's a senior writer at American Greatness. Pedro, always good to have you. Hey, Buck, good to be here. So I don't know if you saw this, um, but the the wokeness, stupidity, the virtue signaling insanity in the last, well, forever, but certainly the last couple of days has gotten so out of control that even some liberals, even some leftists, uh, I can I can tell are feeling like this won't be that easy to defend. Before we, we get into some more substantive things, uh, did you see that Jeopardy contestants want a guy to apologize because he held up three fingers because he had won three times? This is where no. we are now. What is the esoteric meaning of three fingers? I, I don't know. I haven't been following this. White supremacy. They said <laughs> like, it was a white supremacist uh, symbol. That, that's right. what we're told. Right. That's incredible. I mean, it's not incredible, but it's incredible. It's uh, they're very creative, very uh, they have very active imaginations. Yeah, uh, I mean, no, I, I try not to follow this stuff. He it, it, he held up. I mean, you see the New York Post. He he actually held up to his chest three fingers because he had won three times. This guy, I mean, you look at him. He looks like a you know a guy who would have been working at like uh, you know the. The, the genius bar or something uh, from like the late 90s, early 2000s. And he's a white supremacist now because he held up three fingers. That's what they're saying. Right. I mean, that is incredible. I need to have a look at what the uh, blue check marks are saying on Twitter, because I would like to read the theory about this because uh, it's uh, it's kind of like a, a, like popcorn, right? Like reading about these like esoteric theories of what constitutes crypto white supremacy and you're right. Uh, this poor guy was just having a great day, won three times in a row, and now he is a white supremacist. Maybe the FBI is going to look into it. Uh, they're going to like, the, or maybe the post office is going to check his social media posts to see if there's anything going on here. There, there's a bigger, you know, there's a bigger uh, problem here, though, other than just the how the le- we know the left is insane. I mean, these people are completely nuts, and yeah. I, I'm really, I really believe that being a left-wing democrat today it, it, it indicates a degree of emotional and psychological instability and I, I know that that sounds like i'm trying to get a rise out of people but i really think it's true um you know the same way that that i would have i would have argued that being a, a bolshevik in you know the 1920s 
to be a real, you know, died in the wool, real hardcore Bolshevik would have meant that you probably were nuts. Um, but here's here's the problem. They do these things. The left does this stuff, Pedro. And I know you've written about some of the concerns of conservatism this week and what does it actually conserve. They do this and we either ignore it or outrage for a day, but they keep doing it. And eventually they crack our hull. Eventually what was crazy a year or two ago or even five years ago or whatever is being taught in schools. That's where we are as a society. Right. No, that's exactly right. Uh, there's this great study published recently by a guy named Richard Hanania in, in, in his Substack, And it, the question he asks and tries to answer is, uh, why is everything liberal? And basically, in a country that's evenly divided between people who are conservative and liberal, we'll say roughly divided, it seems like everything is liberal. Everything as in the institutions like academia, the federal government, the courts. Why is, you know, why, why isn't it kind of split roughly down the middle, conservative and liberal? Well, uh, he looks at a lot of data, and basically the conclusion that he comes to is liberals care more. And we make fun of this for, because we make fun of this uh, because, like you said, uh, we, we kind of associated with a kind of mental illness uh in a very loose sense of the term these people are kind of unstable and uh politics it's like a surrogate for all these different things that they don't have in their lives which i mean maybe that makes us feel good about ourselves uh but they're eating our lunch because they care so much because they're willing to um to, to get out on the streets and march and sure they have protection from like the local bureaucracies and local da's and stuff like that but but still, they care more. Like they're willing to risk more. They're willing to be more engaged. They're willing to uh, be militant about all these nutty things that they have in mind, and they win. Over time, uh, they win. And every whatever you look at, like they take, they capture institutions simply because they care more. And I think that that is something that uh, I think this this kind of seems like a flaw that's built into conservatism, that we think that because we don't care as much somehow we're we're like that put like well you know we lost but we lost with grace and grit and so we're better than them although they're the ones that are now educating our children they're the ones that are now uh instituting new codes of morality and speech and things like that at least we have our our uh our dignity our right? principles our right. principles yeah, well not, our, not for our, long actually. Our, yeah our children our children are being taught uh, transgender ideology at the age of seven or eight now, but we, we have our principles on the right. Pedro's piece in American Greatness is conserving conservatism is conserving defeat. To be conservative in America today is to preserve an order that has lost its legitimacy, and the right thing is not to conserve but destroy it and institute something else. Well, let's let's get into what does the something else look like? I'm not sure, uh, and I, I've actually been thinking about this a lot uh, because I think that that that's actually the question that everyone asks. Okay, Pedro, you want to go full Lenin and you know burn this thing down and build something better? So let's start from first principles. And actually, I've I've kind of come to the conclusion that I think I think uh, action you, that you can derive principles from action. So what do I mean by that? Well, without thinking about first principles like these abstract concepts like equality or uh, liberty or freedom, whatever. Here's what I want. A world in which I don't have to worry about my children uh, being brainwashed into mutilating themselves, into cast like I, I have a son. He's 10 months old. Uh, I have black hair. I'm 
100, 100% uh, Hispanic. My wife is German. Both of us have immigrant backgrounds. And our son uh, has blonde hair. It's going to settle into, I think, like a nice brown. And he has gray eyes that look like they're going to stay that color and light skin. In other words, my son looks white. And I am actually terrified that he's going to grow up in a world that's going to tell him that he's evil. And that, that, that if he, you know, if he wants absolution, he should castrate himself spiritually or literally because he's a white male or he looks like a white male. And like, I, this, th- th- I don't think this is actually a cop out. I really think that this, this is, uh, I think this is settling for good enough that the world that I want to build is one where that, that thought, it just doesn't occur to anyone. And in fact, it's intolerable. Like the people that would want to do that to him, they, they just don't get to be in society. They don't get it, it. In other words, I'm for canceling the existing regime and all the people that hold it up and putting them kind of in the position where we are, where they're kind of on the outside. We're, and, speak, we're speaking to Pedro Gonzalez. He's got a piece you should all check out at American Greatness, amgreatness.com. Conserving conservatism is conserving defeat. Uh, Pedro, I don't I didn't want to interrupt your flow there. I know you, you've got more, I, I think. But you're, you're illustrating what I think a lot of us on the right have felt for a while, and especially those of us who are willing to speak the truth about the good, the bad, and the ugly of the Trump administration. What got done, what didn't. You know, it was a lot of he fights, he fights. Okay, he fights the media, but look where we are now policy-wise, and look what the movement has left, a, a unified Democrat government with, you know, quasi-senile Joe Biden as the puppet of the radical left. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Uh, sometimes people don't. I, mean, that's, I heard that, too. If you, you know, uh, we need this man because he fights. And this is a reference to Ulysses S. Grant, I think, um, which is like half true. Like you say, if we we fight the wrong things, like we fight the media, we, we fight like fake news. Like basically, it's like when we say fight, we're really just kind of talking about like, will we express our outrage? That's not fighting. Uh, that's that's again that's like a controlled loss and and i'll give one example of what i think conservatives and when i say conservatives i'm talking about the, the kind of the intellectual conservatives the one that give people ideas or tell them how they should think and you can find these people at like national review and there was an article in national review that makes the 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 argument that trans rights are actually a conservative issue and so I, I criticized this in my piece saying like, look, uh, I don't think anyone should be physically abused because they're, you know, because whatever their sexual uh, identity or their, their gender identity, because I, I also associate transgenderism with, with actually actual mental illness, which was until recently accepted it was gender dysphoria. Right. So I don't think that you should be mean to these people. I think, in fact, you should you should be compassionate towards them and, and uh, help them get the, the kind of psychiatric care they need because suicide rates are really high among these people. Right. So we should be compassionate towards them. Well, no, the conservative position at National Review is that uh, we should we should fight for trans rights. Like what? And that and that is uh, in, in the view of the authors there, the way that we uh, responsibly shepherd uh, the country into a new order. Like, I'm sorry, but an order in which it's normal for like minors to uh, chemically or physically castrate themselves. That's not an order that's worth preserving. Like, if that's what conservatism is standing for, responsible, uh, whatever you want to call this, like, we'll, we'll, it'll just be fiscally responsible, right? Uh, limited government. We'll do, we'll do all this crazy stuff, but we'll do it with fiscal responsibility. That's not worth preserving. 
And the the and, bending of the knee, Pedro, to corporations, the the almost maniacal fixation on tax cuts. Uh, the, the these are things that w- when we see what how they play out, and we've had a pretty good view of it in just the last four or five years. The, the GOP will expend enormous energy in order to get tax cuts, including for corporations. Now those corporations turn around just to give a sense of, of, of why this is such a problem and are really the the shock troops and in many ways more powerful in shaping public opinion and public discourse. I mean, I, I think it's obvious now, given what the social media companies are doing. I mean, I'm, I'm getting violations and restrictions and all kinds of things every day for what I do on social media. I, all I do is disagree with policy positions. I'm not. I'm not actually breaking any laws or rule or or rules of you know normal discourse. But we. It, it feels like the GOP needs a wake up call here. I mean, you describe it in your piece as surrender across the board. Yeah, yeah, and of course they'll say it's not. It's not surrender. Uh, it's kind of. But I mean, it, it is. It is surrender. They're just. They're just again. They're losing with with grace and grit. Uh, it, like I think that the transgender sports issue. Um, here's a different way to think about it. Oftentimes, what Republicans are saying is, actually, there's nothing wrong with transgenderism. Um, we just want uh, sports to be free of unfair biological competition. So it's like, no, no, we want the bread and circuses. We just want to keep it free and fair. And there's nothing wrong with this other issue of like the biological sexes being eradicated. Uh, it, it's, it's see, I, I hope you see what I'm saying is that we fight the wrong battles here. And oftentimes we begin fighting by accepting uh, a premise established by the left, like transgender rights are humanitarian rights and they're here to stay. And conservatives will start there. OK, you're, you're right. Uh, but please keep uh, men out of women's soccer or something like that. Like that. That's how conservatives will tell you, no, 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 we're fighting. We're actually fighting. But no, you're not. You already actually lost. And now you're just kind of occupying this moderate position of shadowing Democrats along the arc of history toward progress. And you're just always one step behind them. I want to come back here in a second with Pedro Gonzalez. He's a writer at American Greatness. His piece, which we're discussing right now, Conserving Conservatism is Conserving Defeat. We'll be back with Pedro in one sec. All right, we're back with our friend Pedro Gonzalez, senior writer at American Greatness, and his piece, Conserving Conservatism is Conserving Defeat. Pedro, I want to just uh, tell the audience uh, one of one of the lines or one of the parts of of your piece here. Uh, Transgenderism is only the latest failure of conservatism and the GOP, which has surrendered uh, surrendered on everything, including immigration, criminal justice and reparations, even as it continues to welcome the influence of progressive corporations to their states, influence that in time will reduce red states to a shade of purple and then blue. Further, conservative complaints that a new order can't be legislated or that anyone to their right isn't against them so much as the times betray a poverty of vision. Um, So here's my thing. This is very apparent that the right just doesn't really want to wield power. It it always feels like when when the conservatives or, or people who are ostensibly on the right, Republicans are in charge. It's well, well, let's not you know, let's not go. Let's not go too far with what we actually want to do here and said we were going to do before we had power. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And the example that I use is today, there's a recent study that showed that one in six adults born between 1997 and 2002 identify as something other than heterosexual. And the point I make is that that's not organic. People that, that cohort did not just suddenly decide that one in six of them were like uh, non-binary 
or like it, you know like they didn't develop these weird gender identities uh just out of thin air it, this is the result of the tenacity and the sheer force of will of the left to uh, impose this view on people through media through academia through legislation like they made they willed this to happen in other words the left has done and they has they have done the thing and they continue to do the thing that conservatives say is you can't do they either you can't do or it's like wrong to do and and the left is doing it all the time like if you if you think that this happened organically uh I'm, you're nuts it, it didn't like this this is the product of left-wing tenacity well i mean one example of this I, I would note for everyone is is that when there was a a, a completely standard in terms of its publication process and peer review peer review people say it sounds like it's fancier than it is it usually just means a bunch of left-wing automatons and academia are rubber stamping whatever you know it's not like peer review is a guarantee of anything but it went through the normal process it was at brown university which is the most left-wing lunatic uh, institution really in the country in some ways i mean one of them and it was about the enormous uh, obvious uh, data that shows that transgenderism is contagious, in a sense, ideologically speaking, among children. That when one child comes out and is transgender, there's a you know one thousand percent spike in the chances of there being other children who are transgender. They pulled. You can't even find that article anymore. They've pulled it off right. the internet. Right. Yeah, and this is case in point. Uh, the the left does everything that the, that conservatives say uh, you can't do. Uh, either because it's impossible or because it's it's somehow like unethical. Uh, my view is like, well, uh, you're you're losing. So, w- what right do you actually have to say that? I mean, that's that's basically how I talk to conservatives who will say, hold on, like you're being a little bit too like Leninistic or something. It's my position is like, I'm sorry, what have you conserved? W- what have you actually uh, preserved in this country? Like you've lost on everything on immigration. Who did the 1986 uh, Immigration Reform and Control Act, the one that resulted in a massive amnesty and actually incentivized immigration because of how catastrophically it failed? Ronald Reagan. That was the Reagan, right, yep. was the Reagan administration. I've told everybody about this. Reagan got totally swindled on immigration. Keep going. Right. And on criminal justice reform, uh, which administration fundamentally changed our federal uh, criminal immigration system, criminal immigration system, our federal prison system, to allow like the worst kinds of felons to get out of prison early, it was the Trump administration. And, and uh, right now, I don't know if you watched the uh, Biden's congressional address and Tim Scott's rebuttal to it, but noticeably, in Tim Scott's rebuttal, there was exactly one short passing sentence about immigration, and it was totally insubstantial. And I don't think that's a coincidence because right now you've got Republicans like Cornyn who are in talks with, with Democrats about securing an amnesty deal. And you've got George W. Bush calling for the party to do the same. Like Republicans lose on everything. And the conservative movement defends their loss as somehow like, you know, the principal position. Pedro, so, like, we, we got to so, have you. We got to have you back to talk about what the what the fight back looks like. Yeah. So let's let's plan for that sometime okay. in the days ahead. Pedro Gonzalez, everybody at American Greatness. Go to amgreatness.com. Read his piece. Conserving conservatism is conserving defeat. Pedro. Talk to you again soon, man. Thank you. Thank you, Buck. Going to get into the raid on Rudy Giuliani's home and office here in just a second. You know, it's amazing the way the deep state goes after people. You never be too prepared for it, you know, and you got to prepare in your own ways, too. I mean, maybe the deep state doesn't come for you, but life is uncertain and you want to make sure that you and your family have a plan. You're buying a home, having babies, building wealth these days. 
You've got to secure your family's future by adding, establishing a will or trust to your to-do list. And this is the thing to do right now. Go to uh, trustandwill.com slash buck. Don't wait. Go do it right now. Go to trustandwill.com slash buck. Let me tell you why. At trustedwill.com, you can set up an estate plan that is simple, convenient, and secure. For as little as $39, it's 39 bucks. You can nominate guardians for your children to determine who gets your stuff and plan for future medical care, all from the comfort of your home. This is just one of these things you've got to do, okay? And they've got live customer support seven days a week, and trustandwill.com's team is available to answer any questions you have when setting up your plan. They've got a quiz online. It's such an easy interface. I've gone through this process, and once you do it, you'll just see, oh, okay, I'm glad I did it. I'm done. Then you get the actual hard copy document sent to you with free shipping. Just go right now. This is really important. Go right now to trustandwill.com slash buck. Again, the website you should go to is trustandwill.com slash buck. For as little as $39, you can set up really important life planning here. Trustandwill.com slash buck. And the reality is that that warrant is completely illegal. The only way you can get a search warrant is if you can show that there's some evidence that the person is going to destroy the evidence or is going to or is going to run away with the evidence. Well, I've had it for two years and I haven't destroyed it. And they also got it from the iCloud. So uh, there was no there was no justification for that warrant. It is an illegal, unconstitutional warrant, uh, one of many that this Department of Injustice tragically has done and it breaks my heart because I belong to the Justice Department and I think I had a record that's a hell of a lot better than theirs. Rudy Giuliani here telling everybody last night on Tucker's show what he really thinks was going on when they raided. They had federal agents raid his home and his office and take all of his electronics. The left is ruthless. I keep telling you that, and I, I know it maybe sounds to people like that's it's political or it's just a my team, their team thing. No, I'm serious. The left is ruthless. Absolutely. They will do things that our side politically will refrain from doing, will balk at, doesn't want a part of because they are just more dedicated to winning than we are. They don't care about principles. They don't care about fair play or at the end of the day, you know, when they're when they're closing their eyes to go to sleep at night. It's not did I cheat to get what my side wants? It's did I get what I want? Nothing else matters. And going after Rudy Giuliani in this way. Think about it, friends, for a FARA violation. That's really what we're talking about here. A Foreign Agent Registration Act violation. This is a a barely enforced, generally unserious statute that usually results in a fine. And everyone knows it goes. But see, this is the problem. I always say you can't leave laws open that are subject to interpretation and that are so subject as this is to politicization. You you just you can't do it because the left will use it as a weapon. The left will use the laws as a tool to get what they want and to crush the people who try to stand in their way. You might say, Buck, Rudy Giuliani's a fighter. 
he's uh, he's an adept lawyer. He was the U.S. attorney. He took on the mob. I've had dinner with Rudy. I've heard him tell the stories about, you know, going after, you know, Jimmy Two Toes and and Frankie lunch meats and, you know, whoever. Right. I, I've I've heard him telling me this stuff. And he was America's mayor and, and you know, he was there on 9-11 after the towers fell and directing the emergency response. Guy was a presidential candidate, counselor to the lawyer. He can handle this, right? Even if he can, the message is still sent. How many other young, ambitious uh, lawyers, uh, people in, in private, uh, private business uh, all, ac- all across the country, whether it's you know, finance or running a corporation, how many of them do you think see what the Democrats are willing to do to a Rudy Giuliani. You see, the fact that he is formidable and can fight back and has name recognition and has connections, that all is part of the messaging. It's, we'll do this, we'll hound and humiliate this guy. What do you think we'd do to you? That's part of the messaging that you have to remember. The process is the punishment. They go into his home. They go into his office. They seize his stuff. And they didn't they didn't even need to, as he points out. They've already gotten everything from the cloud. They're doing this over a FARA registration. I mean, this is not far from if all of a sudden there were IRS audits and FBI agents, you know, busting into people's homes to get all their tax forms, you know, got to pile up the W-2s and the 1099s. And it just so happened that they're major critics of the Biden administration. Oh, wow. Why are some of Biden's most implacable critics all of a sudden getting audited? You know, this happened with Bill Clinton. This was a tactic. The Democrats have done this kind of thing for a long time. All of a sudden, the IRS is really going after people. Or if you're Dinesh D'Souza, the Southern District of New York isn't just going to let you pay a fine and say, hey, don't write another check that you shouldn't write to a political campaign that lost by you know 40 points anyway or 30 points or whatever it was. Don't do that. No, they wanted to lock him up as a felon in prison for a couple of years. That's how they play the game. They send a message. You think I see what happens to someone like a Dinesh D'Souza? That doesn't get processed in my brain as, oh, wow. Uh, as I continue to build my influence, as I continue to be able to reach people all across the country and have millions of listeners and readers and viewers, whether I'm on Fox or radio or uh, or the first or podcast or whatever. I don't have to think about what they did to Dinesh. They would do to me, too. Of course they would. For the most minor violation, for the most, uh, you know, extreme and draconian interpretation possible, they will come after me. And I know they will. And so I have to be very aware of it. They go after Rudy Giuliani. You say, well, I'm fuck, I'm just a, a private citizen. No such thing when the Democrat authoritarians have their way. You do what they say or else they will come after you. Oh, I know what they're saying now. Joe Biden, he didn't know about this. Joe Biden, he didn't know. Sure, sure he didn't. Uh, here, he, he t- he's talking to MSNBC. And here's what he says. Play 14. 
Are you aware of, of that raid before it happened? I give him my word I was not. I made a pledge. I would not interfere in any way, order, or try to stop any investigation the Justice Department had in their way. I learned about that last night when the rest of the world learned about it. My word. I had no idea this was underway. Have you been briefed on any other investigations no. involving... and I'm not asking to be briefed. I'm not asking to be briefed. That's the Justice Department's independent judgment. This last administration politicized the Justice Department so badly so many of them quit. So many left because that's not the role. And it's not the role of a president to say who should be prosecuted, when they should be prosecuted, who should be not prosecuted. That's not the role of the president. The Justice Department is the people's lawyer, not the president's lawyer. I mean, there's so much here that it's it's hard to process all the bull crap. That Biden is tossing out there. Let's let's take this in, in reverse order from what he says. A few things. First of all, the the notion here that Trump politicized the DOJ. There was a special counsel and an entirely fraudulent BS Russia collusion investigation for almost all of Trump's first term. Spurred on by DOJ, deep state Democrat hacks. You want to talk about politicizing the Justice Department? Is this guy out of his mind? Well, yeah, actually, yes, Biden is is kind of out of his mind. That's that's true. Uh, you know, they they lie about this constantly. They one of the favorite tactics of the statist authoritarian Democrats. And you must always remember this. One of the favorite tactics they have is to accuse the other side of what they themselves are doing. That is right out of the the center of the playbook to accuse others of what they themselves do. But as for whether I believe Biden was aware of the raid in advance, I know that he would lie about this, so don't don't get me wrong on that one. I'm not sure he was aware because it doesn't matter who's really running the country right now, who's really running the Democrat Party. It's not Joe Biden. Joe Biden's an idiot. We all know it. He can trust the Obama apparatus around him and the various Democrats who are holdovers from the eight years of Obamaism and the deep state authoritarians that are civil servants at the senior levels of places like the DOJ. They do the dirty work for him. Right. So it's not does the puppet have to know what the move against Rudy Giuliani is? No, the puppet masters will take care of it. That was not surprising that Biden perhaps did not know. It's not surprising that he might have been kept in the dark about this because he's kept in the dark about a lot of things. It's amazing this guy still goes out there, shuffles around, looks for his mask and everything else. It's really, you know, it's like the low IQ crypt keepers running the country. It's just madness. It's just insane. I used to struggle with imposter syndrome, but at 36, I refuse to internalize misguided patriarchal ideas of what a woman can or should be. I am tired of feeling like I'm supposed to apologize for the space I occupy rather than intoxicate people with my effort, my brilliance. I am proud of me, full stop. My parents left everything they knew and loved to expose me to opportunities they never had. Because of them, I stand here today a proud first-generation Latina and officer at CIA. <laughs> I mean, folks, 
I know you probably thought that that was going to result in someone saying, oh, you know, I I work at Woke Inc. Or I work at, uh, you know, the admissions committee of Brown University or Wesleyan or something. You know, I mean, that's think about this. What that was a CIA official CIA PSA that's now been circulating on the Internet. What does any of that have to do with anything? What suffering from imposter syndrome? I mean, what is this some kind of CIA therapy session? Like, what what is this? But I could see it even in my time there, just across the federal government more broadly. I, I could see it. You know, you have the the mentality of most people who go into bureaucracy is they want to be told what to do. They want to be a part of the collective. They want to be a cog in the machine, the much bigger machinery all around them they want to work at a very you know self-styled pace they don't want to be held accountable i mean the only thing that bureaucrats hate more accountability is hard work and and you just see the way these institutions i mean the the cia should have first of all you know i i think it's gotten you know way too out there now as the whole intelligence community really is guilty of this but they're all you know out there and and everybody all the former heads of these institutions all want to go out now and be celebrities most of them are boring people think oh you were the deputy director of the CIA or something or the you know the director of the CIA you must be really brilliant no they're they're uh they're often you know just jokers People that managed to maneuver and a lot of them are, are lawyers that knew somebody in the White House, the administration, and they've just been processing process for a very long time. So the, I'm just trying to tell you the intelligence community, you know, we spent a lot of time in, on the on the right talking about the infiltration of really progressive brainwashing ideology into the military it's going on at the CIA and these other places, you know, CIA, DIA, NSA, uh, NCTC, you know, the NGA. I think they might have even renamed that. I, you know, I can't even keep up with all of them now. There's all these different agencies. You know, this is what you see. I mean, the State Department's got a bunch of commies in it, so you can assume that that's already true. Uh, that's been true for a long time. But you go down the list. These are our intelligence agencies, and this... This uh, woke, you know, feel good, uh, you know, diversity, multiculturalism obsession is all throughout them. And I, I sit here and think, I just want the CIA and I want the intelligence community to keep us safe, but also give us an advantage over our enemies and our competitors. That's what I want. I mean, I want the intelligence community to have a mission and to be steely eyed in its pursuit and to know exactly what it's doing, why it's doing it. And it has nothing to do with, you know, teaching everybody that there should be 37 pronouns. You know, it has nothing to do with uh, with pushing diversity, multiculturalism and all this other stuff. But you see, it started on the campuses and then it migrated and it got into, you know, it started on the campuses in Hollywood and it was all throughout academia. And then it was in corporations and at the very top reaches of the federal bureaucracy. And it has metastasized. Wokeness has metastasized. You know, there's this company called Basecamp that has uh, that has put out a statement. They do software. They do some kind of computer software. It doesn't even really matter. 
And they put out a statement essentially saying, we make software. This is not a political company. I don't care about your politics. I don't want you talking about your politics on company time. Uh, We're not taking public stances on political issues. We make software. Do that really well. Be a professional. Now, I, I love this ethos. And I think this is the way we can actually get back to a more normal day-to-day America. I, I think that this is a way you can, you can push back on the cancellation frenzy that's been going on now for years. But I also know this company, Basecamp, it's, it's based in California. Oh, man, they're going to come after them with everything they've got. They're going to have to, uh, you know, the way that they went into Rudy Giuliani's home and did the raid to send a message, you know, that, by the way, that's the Biden administration's version of, you know, wrapping a dead fish in a newspaper and leaving it at Giuliani's front door, you know, this or, or putting a putting a severed horse head in somebody's bed. This is that's what the that's the thuggishness of the Biden administration. You're going to see you're going to see this base camp company come under a withering assault from the woke maniacs. I mean, you're going to see this Biden administration. Uh, I'm sorry, you're, you're going to see this base camp company rather just completely surrounded by the lunatic left. I mean, I almost I, I want to bring up uh, how good I think this ethos is they're trying to spread, but I also don't want to get them in trouble. You know, so it's uh, but with them with the other side of it is we need to come to their aid. I mean, I, I don't even know if I could use their software, but I feel like I might have to go buy some. This is why I always tell you all the sponsors you hear on this program you you ask me, what can I do to help conservatism? It's not just me and this show, which it certainly is. By going to our sponsors, you vote with your dollars to keep this show on the air. Uh, but it's also those companies because their affiliation with a conservative talk radio show and podcast shows that they at least stand with freedom of speech, if not with conservative values. So you want to take action? Support the companies that I tell you about on this show. Support our sponsors. And I, I, I make no apologies for being as explicit about that as I am. That's a way that all of you can help today, right now. I am getting so frustrated with all the ways that I'm being shut down and shut out from social media just for being a conservative. It's crazy. You know this is going on all the time. The left wants to silence and remove any voices they don't agree with. I mean, Twitter and Facebook are supposed to be open platforms. That's a joke. They're coming after conservatives all the time. So instead of letting social media continue to crush you based on your ideas, how about this? Revoke their right to as much of your data as you can. Use a VPN, a virtual private network. The one I use, the best in the business, ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN anonymizes much of your online presence by hiding your IP address. That makes your activity more difficult to trace and sell to advertisers. And it couldn't be easier. With ExpressVPN, you just tap one button on your phone or computer and you're protected. ExpressVPN also encrypts 100% of your data to protect you from hackers and internet bad guys. It's finally time to say no to censorship from big tech and take back your online privacy at expressvpn.com buck. By visiting my special link, you'll get an extra three months of ExpressVPN service for free. Again, that's expressvpn.com buck, expressvpn.com buck to protect your data today. 
She's back with us, folks. The one and only Ann Coulter, 13-time New York Times best-selling author and syndicated columnist. Go to AnnCoulter.com for her latest. Ms. Coulter, great to have you. Good to talk to you, Buck Sexton. So you got a piece, Ann's plan to end police shootings. Before you tell us what, what some of the aspects of your plan are, it is truly remarkable that I, I keep telling people, and whether it's on radio or on social media, the United States had a nationwide increase last year of 37% when it comes to homicides, which yeah. is mind-blowing. I mean, It is the and highest year-to-year -year increase in murder in, in, well, since they've been keeping records, at least 50 years. And, and this is not a statistic that's on the tip of everyone's tongue. I mean, Ann, we had, we had Biden in, in the speech this week talking about police reform. I want to be like, has everyone lost their minds? <laughs> yeah, so the, the Democrats, this is, this is always um, one, of their, one of their desired outcomes. In addition to transferring control of everything to the federal government, the Democratic Party is, is um, staunchly pro-criminal, um, as I described in, in mugs, taking mostly New York City, um, through the era <laughs> of the last time all these exact same policies were tried, the 60s and the 70s, um, the 80s, uh, until the blessed, sainted Giuliani came in and suddenly murders started to go down dramatically, dramatically, dramatically to the point that I think by the end of Bloomberg, um, there were like 300 murders per year. Yep. Um, yep. It was something astonishing like that. Uh, when it had been in the thousands, in fact, I, I, I knew very well Biden's chief crime guy on the Judici Senate Judiciary Committee um, when I worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee um, in the, I guess, early 2000s. Um, and that he, he admitted to me, he did crime policy, that it was at least a quarter, um, it may have been a third, but let's say a quarter of the decline in murder across the nation came exclusively from New York City. It went Thank from around 2,200 and to about 300. Yeah, yeah, with Bloomberg continuing Giuliani's policies, principally CompStat, certainly got guns off the streets. I mean, the low-level crime enforcement, uh, the beauty part of that is not just um, what I think is most famous about it, the broken windows policy, when people see disorder around them and people, you know, crapping on the sidewalks and broken windows, they feel like this is a, a lawless zone and, well, what the heck, I'll just mug this little old lady. So violent crime tends to, tends to increase with um, not enforcing quality of life crimes. Um, yeah, sure, that is absolutely true. But the other, the other big advantage of enforcing, say, turnstile jumpers or crapping on the street, um, is that um, young, young possible criminals who might have gone out with a gun that night will say, mm, mm, I think I won't bring my gun, because I could be turnstile jumping. I'll get nabbed, and then I'm going to lose my gun. And so the quality of life crime enforcement vastly reduced guns from the street. You know, liberals pretend to care about guns, guns, guns. You want to get guns off the street, start, start prosecuting spitting on the sidewalk and crapping on the sidewalk and, and jumping turnstiles. Um, no, I, I, I predicted in, in mugs that as soon as Democrats got, got control of the le levers again, it's like, 
you know, husband and wife fighting over the temperature. <laughs> as soon as you look away, suddenly the air conditioning comes on. Um, same thing with, with the Democrats and crime. You look away, they get control. We're throwing criminals out of, out of prison, out of jail. I mean, as we talked about at the beginning of COVID, what, I mean, it's just emblematic. It's, it's not, it actually is kind of a big thing. Releasing prisoners from jail because of COVID. As they're telling the rest of us to turn our homes into our jails. Don't leave home, don't leave home, don't leave home. Oh, but criminals, gosh, the last thing we want to do is keep them quarantined. And some of them did end up, there were a number who went out and, and committed serious crimes and attacked people, by the way. Just just in New York alone that happened, but I'm sure it happened other places across the country. But to, to that end, and we're speaking to Ann Coulter, everybody, go to her latest uh, read her latest column at annecoulter.com on Ann's plan to end police shootings, which involves obeying police commands, not resisting arrest, things like that. I, 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 will, uh, I will second the notion that these are good ideas to, uh, to do when you're dealing with law enforcement. But, Ann, this is across the country. You know, New York is the biggest city and the one that has, you know, the, the numbers, as, as you pointed out, have the, the steepest decline in murders, and, and it's just mind-blowing still what was able to happen here over the course of about 10 to 15 years. But I, I was just in Austin, Texas recently, and I met with a, a, a friend there who's on the city council, and she said the people here are com- This is in Texas. They're completely nuts. They, yeah. they defunded police, $150 million. Guess what? The murder rate doubled. There are people, yeah. all the you know human... Uh, you know, refuse stuff going on in the streets all over the place. People, you know, relieving themselves outside. They have more assault. It's remember, murders are just the statistic. It's hardest for them to hide and scare people that's the most. Right. But there's always everything. That's the that's what's above the water. Then there's all the stuff. The rest of the iceberg below. And and this is played out now in Chicago, St. Louis, Atlanta, Portland, Seattle. And and how is the Democrats don't pay a price for this? I mean, how is Joe Biden in charge? Well, Trump didn't make it easy for to vote for him. Um, we have to be we have to be clear-eyed about whose fault the presidential election was. I was furious when he was trying to cave in the early days. I said, "Where is Trump? Where?" This was in June after the the night of the purge here in New York. And you you were spot on on this one. I remember, and I was telling everybody, uh, criminal justice reform. Now, now we get to hear about Jared's criminal justice reform. So, you yeah. know, he has a few more people being nice to him at the half million dollar year entry uh, country club. Give me a break. Right. And as we're finding out now, um, what is what is sending the Democrats ratings um, the lowest is their fixation on race and and phrasing everything in terms of race. And there have been a number of surveys and studies, whatever the policy is. Um, their decision is, well, we're going to pitch this in terms of, you know, how it's, it pursues racial justice. It's about race. That is driving the Democrats' ratings and public approval into the dirt. So I think it was a fantastic idea for um, a conservative network to keep attacking Joe Biden for supporting busing, or rather opposing busing, opposing busing. That was what Kamala, you will recall, attacked him for. It. I think it was the first debate. And then after the debate, she admits, she opposed the policy, too. Why? Because busing was hated by everyone. Black people, white people, everyone. Everyone hated it. And that's going to be conservative media's big attack on Joe Biden. Well, and, he and opposed also, busing. There was also the attack on Biden for the crime bill, which was not, which was not smart, given what was going on. Remember Biden? Right. Biden. I mean, that is worthy of attack. That, that, I, I went to Washington not long after that. 
but, but the attack is it was an utterly useless bill that just funded a bunch of social service workers and, um, you know, the Violence Against Women Act, which my law firm got declared unconstitutional because it was um, a magnificent ruling. There are plenty of reasons for or, and, and, and a way to attack him. Um, but I know I do not think this will play out well for the Democrats. I sort of don't want to be saying it on on radio. I don't want to give the game away. But no, people don't like crime. The media are doing their damnedest to hide it, but you can't hide crime. I mean, we had last year the highest rate of of murders that the country's seen in over 20 years, which I mean, it's these are this isn't, you know, a little bit around the edges or something. This is a sea change. We're speaking to Ann Coulter. Everybody go to Ann Coulter. Dot and it's going to take a while to catch them all again. I mean, part of what, what, what helped not to give, you know, Bloomberg his due for pursuing the Giuliani crime policies, and I hope Andrew Yang is paying attention to this, or whomever becomes the next mayor. Um, by the way, the election, um, it, when is it? It's like June 22nd or something. It's coming up. It's coming up fast. Make sure your listeners know. I don't want another 12% of New York City voting in the mayoral well, Democratic primary, the only one that matters, and then ending up with some boob that's going to, you know, turn New York City into I the know, next. I, I hate when people say he has to be better than de Blasio. False. <laughs> Actually, de Blasio oh, is awful, false. but it could be worse. There's always absolutely worse. Absolutely false. <laughs> you know, some of the, the lunatic socialists that are running around now in the city council and other places, I mean, it, yeah. it, could, definitely, it could definitely be but, worse. I mean, but I, what I was starting to say is, and again, not to take anything away from Bloomberg, you know, each year it gets better and better, just as under someone like de Blasio, under, I'm sorry, but um, Ed Koch and then Dinkins, it gets worse and worse each year. Um, because, because, you know, the criminals you caught last year are still in prison. Yay, they're off the street. It's going to take, now that de Blasio is, has released them all, it's going to take a while to catch them all again. And what is it that it, what is it going to take for people to also realize that the the border you know I was just down there and oh, you know, right. all the border patrol by the way they, they everyone agrees with your assessment that the number they actually laugh when people say many members of border patrol I spoke to yeah they said I've been here for 20 years they'd say it's been 11 million illegal immigrants for 20 years meanwhile we're catching 150,000 a month okay so, yeah s- someone explained that math but but beyond that you know we had another number that doesn't get enough attention. Over 80,000 overdoses in the United States last year. And, you know, I know it was a pandemic year, and that's one of the reasons why I was so opposed to lockdowns, because it was going to exacerbate this. But those drugs are all coming through the seams left in our southern border. People are dying of overdoses in New yeah. York and New Jersey and Ohio and Michigan and wherever because of the drug mules coming across the southern border because our border patrol is giving everybody diapers and formula and trying to process them and put them on buses and planes to their family members who are also illegal. That's what's going on. Well, one, one other reason for that is um, America got together and voted to put a completely preposterous human being in the presidency on the basis of a promise made at every single rally for 18 months that he would build a wall, and we did not get a wall. Um, the American people are smarter than, than politicians. There are a few things, um, and very few, as, as strongly expressed as the public's position on a wide open border. They have been begging for a wall for, for 40 years, and the politicians campaign on it, and, oh, no, we have something better than a wall. We'll put drones down. Um, they vote for it, 
and then they don't fund it, and then it doesn't get built. They will not give us a wall. Trump wouldn't give us a wall. That's why he lost the election, in addition to many other betrayals. But that, of course, was the biggest one. There was nothing more associated with his campaign. There's a reason we wanted a wall. You don't have to pay unemployment. You don't have to worry about border agents getting killed. Um, you don't have to worry about them getting in fights and lawsuits. A wall just sits there day and night, and Americans get to decide who comes in and who doesn't come in and what drugs come in and what, and what dread diseases come in. As, as Trump said accurately, I mean, the one thing Republicans can learn from him, the one thing is, this is these are popular issues. Run on them, but then, mm, this is what will be different from Trump. Don't betray your voters. I got to tell you, you know, the, the drone issue, the drone issue came up when I was talking to Border Patrol and they said <laughs> there was all this stuff about the predator drones at the border. And everyone thought this was they said the footage was being uploaded a day later. <laughs> so basically, these guys, they're not actually controlling it at the border. They, they weren't actually getting real time updates. And so a day later, they'd find out, oh, that's where they ran the drugs through. Not exactly. Right. Not exactly a highly, highly effective system. Uh, just you know, Even and, when it's and, working, what's the point? I mean, unless we're going to drop bombs on them, and I'm not recommending that. I don't think anyone else is. Um, I don't want to watch them breaking the law, whether it's in real time or even more absurdly, as you say, 24 hours later. Um, what, they're going to keep rushing back and rush to this part of the border, rush to this part of the border? No, build a wall. And, and you know, all respect, they're my favorite, <laughs> probably, well, other than policemen, they're my favorite law enforcement officers, the, the, the border guards. But they're not, they're not, you know, experts on how to keep people out. Um, a wall does make many of their jobs obsolete. So just keep that in mind. Ann Coulter, everybody, go to AnnCoulter.com for her latest column. Ann, always a pleasure. Great to have you. Good to talk to you, Buck Sexton. Bye-bye. Um, I was disappointed that he um, said America is not a racist country without also talking about the systemic racism that is plaguing this country. I mean, why was he chosen to give this uh, rebuttal? He was chosen because he is the only black Republican senator. He is that person. He is the person that Republicans want to put out front because of the problem of racism in this country. And he knows that. Um, and, and, and so I was sort of disappointed that he was used in this way. Ah, uh, you see, this is the logic of the left, really the illogic on display from The View, the dumbest talk show in daytime or anytime for that matter. But so it's a problem that Senator Tim Scott speaks because he was chosen, she says, this host, because he's black. But we all know that if you had, you know, Lindsey Graham give the response, if you had a, a, a white senator, particularly a white male senator on the Republican side, give the response to Biden, it would be, well, his opinion doesn't count on this issue. He hasn't lived the reality of racism, so they'll dismiss it. It's heads they win, tails you lose, and this is how Democrats always do it. The real takeaway from this week and from Senator Tim Scott's uh, rebuttal to the Biden joint address is how vicious and, yes, racist so many leftists actually are. The fact that Uncle Tim, the re a reference, of course, to Uncle Tom, was trending on Twitter for almost 12 hours. 
It wasn't trending from conservatives posting it, friends. We all know it. This is what the left does. They smear people if they're black and don't say the things the left demands. You know, that strikes me as racist. It strikes me as making judgments about people based upon skin color, attacking them based upon skin color, because they won't do what the left tells them to do. And can you imagine, just think about this, imagine for a moment that Senator, uh, Senator Scott was not giving this speech. Imagine you had a, a white Republican in a, during a Democrat administration, or even here, here's a better way to line this up. If you had Donald Trump tell a black Democrat senator that he didn't understand race relations or, or he was wrong about race relations in America, it would have been a, a media meltdown. It would have been the Chernobyl of race relations stories in America. I mean, they would have completely lost their minds. What we have here is Joe Biden telling Senator Tim Scott, a black man from the South, what the truth of race relations are. What do you think Joe Biden, old white man Biden from Delaware, is uh, is somehow attuned to this? Like he, Joe Biden has better insight into race relations in America than Tim Scott. Now, now we could. My position is that it actually doesn't matter what your race is. You should have you know equal space in the public square to address important issues, including issues of race. I actually don't believe this lived experience rhetoric that's always being thrown out at people to make some opinions worth more than others. I think the argument should stand on its own. The stories, the reality should stand up on its own without people having to do this balancing act all the time. But imagine Joe Biden lecturing. I'm sorry. Imagine Donald Trump lecturing a black Democrat senator on race, race relations. That's exactly what the Democrats have done with the Biden administration and Senator Scott. Deo et patrie. That is the slogan of my high school, Regis High School in New York City. Perhaps now best known, unfortunately for all, as the school that produced none other than Dr. Anthony Fauci. You know, here's the thing. You got to mitigate with the mask to prevent a plateau. But, you know, you could have a diminution of the ascendancy of the third order effect of a differential magnitude of using a cloth versus the aerosolized N90. You know, all the all the jargon that Fauci throws at you so that he can say absurd and and self-contradictory things and still have people go, oh, yes, Dr. Fauci is so smart. Anyway, he went to Regis High School, which is uh, in Manhattan. It's on the Upper East Side, but it's not one of those fancy Upper East Side kid schools. It actually draws from all over the five boroughs. In fact, my classmates are, are came from as far out as Wappingers Falls. That's right. Commuting each way from Wappingers Falls. I had classmates from all over the south shore of Long Island, from out in Nassau County. I had people from all the five boroughs, a lot of folks from Staten Island. In fact, the uh, Saturday Night Live weekend update host, Colin Jost, was my classmate at Regis, and he did a whole movie on Netflix about Staten Island, if memory serves. So Regis is a is a place that's very interesting, and it's because it's a scholarship school. Now, why am I telling you about this? Well, it's under assault from, you guessed it, critical race theory. 
And it's a shame because here's here's what's been so fascinating about Regis, which has been around since I think about 1905. So this is a school that's over 100 years old. It's always been tuition free. So it's a private school, Jesuit affiliated, but not actually run. It's not a parochial school. It's not run by the church. It's a private school where you pay. I think it's twenty dollars a year. Well, at least when I was there, twenty dollars a year for laboratory fees and student fees. And that's it. It's a tuition-free private school. There's really nothing like it in the country. I believe Regis Philbin, the uh, TV host, was named for the school because his dad went there. But Regis, from what I remember in an interview, didn't actually get into Regis, which has got to be tough to then carry the name. But anyway, he had quite a career. I'm sure he's fine. So here's what was written by Jack Fowler, who's the, uh, I believe, the publisher of National Review. Regis High School seems ashamed of its legacy and purpose. So let me just tell you some of what he writes here, and then I'll get into how critical race theory is destroying every institution that it's in and will continue to do so until we say, so whatever school your kids are in, whatever company you work for, if CRT spreads, it is an intellectual cancer and it will destroy that place. Critical race theory will ruin anything it touches, anything it infiltrates. And Regis is yet another example. Here's what Fowler writes in National Review. There's a lot of trouble afoot at my alma mater, and it seems worth sharing. Maybe that should be more trouble because prestigious Regis High School has been in the news of late with its president being fired over charges of sexual misconduct. A Jesuit-run institution, and yes, the high school of one Anthony Fauci, Regis is not prestigious because of my particular alumnus status. Nor because of cost, it's tuition free since it's founding in 1914. Sorry, I think I said 1905. 1914. Simply, it is regularly ranked as one of the best Catholic high school, as the best high, uh, Catholic high school actually in America. So Regis is considered in whatever rankings there are, the best Catholic school you can go to for high school. It got that status because it was a determined fire hose of classical education that graduated young men who were put to so many a test that they could think and analyze as adults for God and country, as the blunt school motto stated. But now Regis, like many of schools, seems ashamed of its legacy and purpose, maybe even of Deo and at Patrie, uh, and has become quick to genuflect and lie prostrate before the gods of critical race theory. Yeah, ruining the place, absolutely ruining it. So here's what happened. There's a letter that has been circulating that claims that Regis is uh, is essentially becoming overrun with critical race theory. There are multiple letters. I mean, I'm not keeping that close tabs on this, to be honest with you. I I'm not somebody who's a particularly active alumni of any or alumnus, I guess, of any institution that I've gone to. I feel like I did my time. I paid them. I do. I have sent Regis money. And I, I donate in one way or another to their annual fund. Reminds me, I've actually got to take a family out to lunch as a uh, as a prize. Yeah, I know. Pri lunch with Buck. Who, it's a prize, believe it or not. It's a good way to raise money for the school. But there's there are letters going around now because parents are sick of the critical race theory that is being indoctrinated, uh, that their kids are being indoctrinated with. They write, enough, this is not what our son signed up for. What you're doing is wrong and bad. That's the basic overview that he gives here. And you're hearing this now at so many schools. 
because we have this Biden administration. There's the moral panic of, oh, no, the Trump administration. Trump did all these terrible things. And so people feel more than ever like there has to be some kind of penance done now. And that means critical race theory, which just understand it. It's it's Marxism with race instead of class as the separating indices, if you will. It's it's race based Marxism is what critical race theory is. In fact, the founders of it, you can go back to Herbert Marcuse, were Marxists. And it's essentially saying a society that does not allow for racial balancing in the law and just in in every aspect of society will, because of structural racism, uh, always be perpetuating more racism. So it's up to some people in positions of power to balance that out. What does that really mean? Well, it means you're going to be making value judgments about people by the color of their skin. It means an end to equal protection under the law and its replacement with equity protection under the law. So that's another one. That's another thing to to keep in mind. So the the ends, in fact, have to be the same, not the opportunities to get there. And one reason why Regis has been a little bit resistant to this is its classical tradition as a Jesuit institution here in New York City and a pretty celebrated one. I feel fortunate that I went to school there. It is a nerd factory and there are no girls. So there were some big downsides to it. But overall, I had a good I had a a good experience there and I I learned a lot and I learned what it was like to be around uh, individuals who were highly driven and didn't have a safety net, you know, didn't have some. Uh, medical practice they were going to inherit from mom and dad or didn't have some, you know, business that they could just go work for. It was a lot of kids. When I was there, the average income, I remember they sent this out to the incoming freshman class. The average income was about $55,000 a year for a Regis family. I think it was something, maybe it was $65,000 a year, but it was a solidly, now that was in the year 2000, um, but I'm sorry, the year 1996 rather, but it was a solidly, middle class institution in terms of the socioeconomics of the people who go there. There was also some diversity in the class for sure, but it tended to be diversity of Asian American students. Uh, There were a lot of uh, Korean Americans and Filipino Americans in my class, and there were not that many African Americans and Hispanic Americans as a percentage of the overall class compared to the greater tri-state population. Ah, see, That's the problem. That's the problem. Uh, That's where critical race theory steps in and says this is inherently a racist institution because there aren't enough black and Latino students in it. Now, Regis is not responsible for all of society. They merely have very high standards for admission, which they can uphold because they give a free education to all the students who go. It's the only free private school, I think, in the country that isn't a conservat- uh, conservatorium or a conservatory, rather, uh, that isn't music or uh, has some other. Like Juilliard is a free school, but Juilliard's also a college level uh, institution and it's for music and acting and other things. So critical race theory has infiltrated Regis. Here's what this letter is that's out there now. And I'm, remember, I'm telling you about this because this is a place that I know well. It's being taught at your kid's parochial school, too. It's being taught at your kid's public or private school. It's in the boardroom wherever you work, whether they're open about it or not. It's happening. 
And it is going to corrupt and corrode these places until we meet it head on. So this is a problem for all of us now in America. Here's what this letter from the alumni is. This is an open letter from a group of concerned alumni and parents. Up until July 8th of last year, we were thankful that Regis remained faithful to its mission of academic excellence um, and fostering a spirit of generosity and had resisted the fashionable racism inherent in critical race theory that has been embraced by other educational institutions. We felt confident that the academic rigor and focus on critical thinking that Regis has instilled in its graduates for over a century made Regis immune to the anti-rational, anti-liberal, anti-meritocratic, neo-racist ideology that is critical race theory. Regis's reckoning came last summer when an anonymous group created an Instagram page called Black at Regis in response to a letter Regis emailed to the entire community on June 3rd of 2020. Many of the stories on Black at Regis are awful. We want to be clear that racial harassment and discrimination are unacceptable. However, the Black at Regis site does not simply draw attention to incidents. It prescribes as the remedy the adoption of critical race theory ideology. The first letter is anonymous and states the mission of this project is to highlight the experience of black students. The second letter was signed by over 600 Regis and Reach alumni and faculty. It is also full of CRT jargon and its condemnations of Regis or condemnation of Regis's behavior. And it calls the reasonable and measured June 3rd letter from Regis a slap in the face from an institution that prides itself on forming men for others. So a big part of this is that Regis has already been doing something called the Reach program for years where they take in its predominantly black and Latino students that are in the Reach program and they are not as academically prepared as some of their peers. So they do extra tutoring and outreach to them. Not enough. Unacceptable. And so you have now demands for critical race theory, demands for changes in curriculum, demands for the end of one of the only pure meritocracies in academia that exists in the entire United States. And if we don't say enough is enough, if we don't say excellence is its own goal here and we're not going to change it based on the demands of some whiny babies, we're going to lose it. Meritocracy itself is under assault here, friends, not just at this one high school all across the country. We fight it or the Marxists win. All right, Producer Mark, I, I just wanted to check in with you, buddy, before we sign off for the weekend, and uh, we'll get to a, a deep roll call. I had, I had a lot of guests today, and uh, so we, we, we cut things short a little bit, but uh, what, do you, what do you got planned? Anything fun and exciting? N- nothing fun and exciting. Uh, I'm going to be moving in two or three weeks, so uh, it's just making sure uh, everything's in a cardboard box so wow. people can come and move it for me. There we go. That'll be that'll be fun times, my man. Did you see that there's now a a function on Netflix where it just will play something? You don't even have to choose. It'll just play something that it thinks you like. And I think this is how civilization ends. We've now become so lazy that we won't even scroll to find the show among the curated suggestions that Netflix already makes. We have to have Netflix for those who subscribe to it. Pick the show for us and just play it. I mean, some people like the randomness. They're, they used to have this thing that would help you pick a show. Like you just choose comedy and like something like an, another generic, you know, title for it. And it would choose something for you. Now mm. they're just choosing it. For, I mean, I don't mind it because there are, 
I mean, what are there, hundreds of thousands of things on Netflix? It's hard to find something you want to watch. What is your show these days? Uh, I have a lot of them. Uh, we just, uh, we're about to finish uh, Winter Captain and the Winter Soldier. That's a new Marvel thing. Uh, not, got- not, not to beat a dead horse, but I'm going to beat it. Yeah. So she'll watch Captain America stuff with you. Sure. Uh, Mrs. Mark. Yes. But she's not going to try the boys on Amazon Prime. You have to explain I mean, this to me. just to be fair, I haven't asked. But by the way you described it, it is incredibly violent and doesn't sound like something upper alley. I don't know if it's incredible. I'm just going by how you described it. I know. It. It's graphic. Mm, it's But it's like silly violence almost. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? It's a little bit like... Yes. Uh, like in Big Trouble in Little China when the guy actually explodes, you know? Like, is that violence? I mean, it's gross because his guts fly everywhere, sure. but he exploded. Like, Would that doesn't really... Would you compare it to Deadpool? It's very much like Deadpool. All right, then maybe uh, maybe she would like it. Maybe we would try it. So you yeah, never the, compared the, it to dead, Deadpool before. The extreme violence is generally presented in, a, in almost a semi-comedic, like a dark comedy way. It is very Deadpool-esque. All right, so maybe so we'll I'm, I'm hoping, we- dude. I'm, I, I've I've let I've let it go for a while. I've let it go for a while, but I, I I'm hoping you're going to try out this suggestion at some point. And you just tell you t- Mrs. Mark, you tell her, you tell Ariel to blame me if it's bad. I mean, that's the easiest way to go about this. Yeah, because then course. I get no blame. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to find something I can watch with the Snow Princess. I mean, I've got uh, I, I'm finishing off Pole Dark. I'm on season five now, which is on Amazon Prime. Great show. By the way, you can watch that with your whole family. There's no naughty, naughty stuff. Uh, no naughty, fun, fun time. And, uh, it, you know, but it's a very, very good show. Very well done. Um, I don't really have. I tried Goliath. I think it tries too hard. I, I, I couldn't really get behind Goliath. So that didn't really excite me. So anyway, I'm, I'm thinking about. Some I've stuff. told you 10 times to watch Ted Lasso and you still haven't uh, done it. I don't have so. the, the, the iTunes thing that you need. Yes, you do. You just bought a brand new TV, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I did. If it doesn't have the Apple TV app, I would be shocked. Like, the ability Uh, to download it. All right. All right. Well, see, I will take your suggestions, Producer Mark, because I'm a team player. So I'm going to try this Ted Lasso show and see how it goes. It's not just me. Everyone says it's great. So there you go. Well, Producer Mark is going to come back with some stories for us on Monday, to be sure. Make sure you send us your uh, thoughts for uh, the upcoming roll call on Monday, send us an email, teambuck at iheartmedia.com or facebook.com slash bucksexton. Also, follow me on Instagram if you're not already. I'm working on the Malta part two this weekend, folks, so hopefully next week it'll be out. Shields high.